Expedition 44, welcome. We are here with Matt and Ryan again. We are in the series of women's roles in the church. This is going to be the third episode on it, and this is really the core of this discussion. So when you talk about egalitarian and complementarianism, what they're going to pretty much say is that both of them are going to kind of say that ideally men and women are equal in the eyes of God, but then the complementarians are going to say they function differently. Mm -hmm. And so this is where this discussion really gets, you might even say heated for yep. some people, because what it comes down to is, can women preach, teach, and lead in their local church? And I would even say over men. And now mm -hmm. I'm going to back up and go back to where I started at the beginning of this, this video in the introduction film of saying the majority of evangelical churches, and I just used Willow Creek as kind of an example, have no problem putting women as elders and having a woman come in and teach occasionally and things like that. But then you're going to get the more John MacArthur flavor, which we gave reference to, mm -hmm. that is adamantly yep. going to say go there's home. no place for yep. that. Go home. Yeah. Yep. And so... There is kind of a little bit of a battle waging between these two perspectives. And Matt and I are going to go back to this and say, what does the scripture say? We don't really care what tradition has happened. We don't really care mm -hmm. what people are doing in yep. the Western version of church in America or something like that. What we care about is what the scripture says. Yep. So we're going to kind of begin today in 1 Corinthians 14, but we'll also then go to uh, 1 Timothy 2. So these are the two passages where Paul is telling women to be silent. And if you just take it at face value, that's kind of might be what it seems. But that's just taking a verse out of context. So we're going to get dive in here to the context. There's several textures of interpretation. So when you get to any passage, there's kind of a, a and we've done so many videos mm -hmm. on this, but there's kind of a way to systematically approach it, another way to scripturally approach mm -hmm. it, another way to culturally yeah, approach spiritually it, spiritually, and figure out all these things. And all of them are going to weigh into the interpretation of it. So mm -hmm. when we look at this, I think one place is starting out with 1 Corinthians 14 is that we need to understand the context before we really jump in any further than that. Yeah. So before we even read this section here, let's just look at the context. So the context, uh, you got a block here of some say it'll be 1 Corinthians Corinthians 11, which what we talked about yeah. there, um, through 14, some just say it's 12 through 14 are kind of a, a block. And it's talking about spiritual gifts and the way people exercise order and exercise their gifts in the church. Yeah. Um, Love and unity for yeah. the church is just the, the, the big echoing thing. big thing. Yeah, especially 1 Corinthians 14 is about order in the church. And in chapter 12, we see women and men prophesying. And actually, we saw it back yeah. in um, chapter 11. Yeah. where we saw women need to cover their heads before they prophesy. Now, there's right. a little bit of a sense here where if I just pick this up and read it in English, it's it's really going to come off like he's talking to men. I mm -hmm. mean, it's hard not to read it in English and go, gosh, this seems like the whole thing is about men because he says words like he over and over yeah. and over. Or, or the word brothers, um, um, Adelphoi, which both complementarians and egalitarians of unanimously affirm that this is a general term referring to men and women. If 
because also 11 times in chapters 12 through 14 here in first corinthians paul uses all yeah so he's talking to men and women it's yeah. kind of like us saying hey you guys right you guys you know and we know that we can sometimes some people don't like that but a lot of people still say you guys referring to men and women yeah it's speaking in the masculine but referring to men and women. So let's read it. Let's go through the text uh -huh. and just read 1 Corinthians 14. You guys can open up your Bible. Keep your mm -hmm. keep it in front of you throughout the video because we're going to continually yep. be going back to it. But we're going to read it and then we're going to kind of make some allusions to yep. it. So starting in verse 31, uh, for you all can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be edified and encouraged. Um, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. But if they inquire about something, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church, or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only one it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I am writing you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers uh, and sisters, this is how they translate it here, it's just brothers there in Greek, um, be encouraged to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking in tongues but everyone should everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way so this is just a weird section of scripture and so we always say what do we do with this we've got some options with mm -hmm. how we handle it but the first thing we really need to start with is why silence yeah like what, are the what reasons what what's the reasons for this and i think Matt and I always connect Old Testament to New Testament, so I like to always, whenever I'm asking this question, I go back and say, well, how was this handled? What did they think of it in the mm -hmm. Old Testament? So in this case, when I, when I think about being silent, I'm going to say, is there any kind of recourse or is there any foundational thinking in the Old Testament for this? And so we've got a few laws in the Old Testament. Do any of them speak to this? No. We don't. So Paul's <laughs> first reason here for the reason for silence is because of the law in verse 34. Um, the problem is there's no place in the law that says this. Yeah, none. So you've got the law, which is arguably 613 commandments mm. almost in the Old Testament, and not one speaks to this. Mm -hmm. And so what is Paul thinking when he says the law? Because I go back and I go, okay, I'm going to read the law and mm. there's nothing. Now, there might have been some rabbinical things yeah. added to that, yeah. but that's typically, Paul doesn't call that the law. The law. Yeah, um, and namos here uh, could just be general instruction, like we saw Torah meant instruction. Yeah. But usually when he uses this, he's referring to the Torah, the, the 613 commands. So yeah. uh, that's our first red flag. Yep. The second one is cultural disgrace. Paul, But Paul, the interesting thing, Paul has already written in um, 1 Corinthians 11 that women can pray and prophesy so why would this be disgraceful? And the same thing back in chapter 12. Yeah, it wouldn't be disgraceful. Yeah. So now how so do you handle yeah, that? Two yeah. chapters later, three chapters yeah. later, now it's all of a sudden disgraceful. We're going to answer these, but we're getting there. Yep. So based on the context here of 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, there are some definitely some questions of coherence that need to be addressed. So how are we going to handle them? So verses 34 and 35. Now there are a few places in the Bible where we get, in some cases, large portions that seem to be very arguable. Now, this comes into your 
conversation of inerrancy. We haven't made this video yet, and we're going to at some points, but there's several places in the Old Testament, in fact, uh, it's been said that there's about 75 of them where things are left out, where they're just not there. You can take original manuscripts here and another original manuscripts, and some of them have them, some of them don't. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe they were just scribes making notations mm -hmm. on the side, like kind of commentaries trying to figure it out, and later those got added as if they're part of the Bible. That's not what the film is about, but unfortunately, that's what the text yeah. is about. Yeah, that's where we got to go here. So this is called textual criticism. It's um, not that we're criticizing the Bible, but they're looking critically at the manuscript traditions. We got a bunch of different manuscript traditions out there. Now, this doesn't sit well with a lot of viewers, listeners, things like that, because immediately it sounds like we're questioning the inerrancy of the scriptures and that's why we need to make a video on what does inerrancy mean and all that so. so we're not don't get your undies in a bunch yet yeah. just kind of hear us out here. yeah so uh, first just read that section from first corinthians 14 31 to 39 and leave out 34 and 35 and see that it's kind of like a bump in the road it flows super coherently the yeah. rest of the whole chapter there without those two verses. Um, the second thing is, is these two verses, 34 and 35, are left out of the manuscript tradition MS-88. Yeah. They're not even there. Right. And that's... That dot, dot, dot thing I referred ones. to earlier. That yeah. is a big dot, dot, dot. dot, dot. dot. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not even there. And the, uh, the second point is the early church fathers before year 200, who were really patriarchal yeah. and would jump almost at any chance to kind of silence women it almost yeah. seemed at times right never refer to these verses this would be a prime thing yeah. for them to do but and first corinthians i believe is the first or second most quoted book of the early church fathers in this time and they never refer to these verses in the first 200 250 years yeah. of christianity you brought up a good point in our class about philip Payne. what was his perspective yeah philip Payne is a text critical scholar um he's evangelical yeah. um conservative um so it's not like he's liberal and trying to discount the bible he just wants to get down to what does the bible say right kind of like us yeah <laughs> but but he makes a note that he went through all actually hands on a whole bunch of these real manuscripts yeah. when he's writing his book um men and women in christ i think it is paul paul's view of uh like biblical manhood and womanhood or something like that it's a really good book look it up um but he goes and he writes 50 pages just on this one verse yeah these two verses here but he notes in um the western manuscript tradition that you find um these two verses located in like i think it's two or three different spots between like uh, 36 and 40 and yeah. uh, and even in one it's at the very end so i'm not sure you're following this but there's super inconsistency yeah. so in some they're here and others they're, they're here, down here somewhere in the middle maybe are they in the margin you know uh -huh. it's it's and even in one he finds this exact thing in the margin with what's called a, a little uh, ellipsis they call it it's, it looks like a division sign where scribes would put it over like a text um, this little sign and then over in the margins sometimes they just write pious things like glory be to God yeah. and things like that right. or notes for the next guy copying this manuscript but it's in the margins and then later in this manuscript family you find where it was in the margins now it's in the text now I think this is really important to say 
why are we doing this? Are we trying to say that we should just throw it all out, you know, that, that it doesn't work with egalitarian thinking? Mm -hmm. It's not really complementarian thinking either. Yeah. And so both sides, this isn't like necessarily a hinging set of scriptures. We're just trying to figure out what to do with it, yeah, what to what handle with it. So, <laughs> so interpretively, whenever we get to one of these things where we look at early manuscripts and there's just, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. They're not there in most of them. And some of them, they're up here, down here, all over the place. What do you do with that? The, the, the best way to do it is to simply say, let's just set this aside for a minute. Yeah. Let's take the rest of scripture that we mm -hmm. know of yeah. and build our interpretation of that. And then we can come back to this and say, Perhaps it was a commentary of the time or something mm -hmm. like that. But let's definitely don't make a major doctrine over this thing that might have been added or taken away. But it goes both ways because if it was part of it, we want to know that. Yeah, we, we, we do. We, we, want to, we want to let that influence our decision. If it wasn't part of it, then we shouldn't. So this is just scholarly textual criticism that we're going to work through in yep. any of these things. Yeah, and that's the whole women be silent part. Um, so what I believe he suggested in the book was maybe translation should put these in brackets, yeah. like the what we do um, in the book of John for the woman caught in adultery. It's They don't find it until much later manuscripts. It's yeah. not in the early ones, that right. story. And so most Bibles, you'll say, you'll have that or the endings of Mark. Yeah. Stuff like that. So, so a couple ways in handling this. Mm -hmm. What if this is original manuscripts? What if what if that is intended to be part of the inerrant Bible? Then how do we interpret? Yeah, so it's got to fit the context. Yeah. That's the first thing and it can't disagree with anything elsewhere in scripture. Yep. So we will get to 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it seems to tell women to be silent also yep. and, and look at that. So it could agree there and that's what complementarians will say that it agrees elsewhere. Um, but what if we take the cultural look at it and women in the ancient world weren't often out doing social things, they're homebodies. So there's something to be said here that in the ancient world, particularly the Greco-Roman Empire, mm -hmm. that, that men were everywhere. Mm -hmm. They were in politics, they were in culture, they were you know, in preaching services, whether you're preaching or whether people are standing on court or talking philosophy. You know, men were the learned yeah. ones that were having these conversations. And in that context, in that world, women really weren't. Yeah, they weren't. So if this was women's one social event for the week and they get to catch up with their friends, you'd think they'd be being chatty, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. So maybe Paul is saying, hey, quiet down in church. The, uh, the second part of this is education. Yeah. Women were a lot... Un, way undereducated compared to men. So if this is women's time, if they're coming to learn, they're obviously going to have a lot of questions because they're not as caught up as men are. Now later on we're going to get to this, but there are some women that seem to have a voice. Mm -hmm. Not very many, yeah. but there are a few that seem to have a voice. And it doesn't seem like the scripture has any problem, whoever the authorship of that is. Again, we'll yeah. get to it. But it doesn't seem like there's any problem with letting those women Steve. teach and lead or speech or something. So in silence, it, it seems to be, this might be pointed to a very pronounced this group of people. Yeah, particular group. Yep. So, um, and he tells their husbands to catch him up at home. Yeah. So that could be a positive thing. Yeah. Paul's wanting them to learn. Um, the last thing is an option is maybe Paul actually refutes those two verses that were in question in verse 36. Yeah. 
So here, the first, the word that's translated or, um, or did the word of God originate with you, can also be translated as what yeah. in Greek. So that word is hey. Um, and so basically what he could be saying, Paul's response to silencing women, would be what? Did the word of God originate with you men? Yeah. <laughs> so we use this exactly the way the Greek was written. Mm -hmm. We often say hey as a way to get people's yeah. attention or bring them back mm -hmm. in a message yeah. or something like that. If you go out and you say hey to your kids, they're all going to stop what they're doing and look what? at you as if that's just a moment of dad wants their attention. Yep. So yeah, and this gets into prophecy, like uh, we're talking here about can a woman teach in church? Is prophecy yeah. different than teaching? Yeah, definitely different. So in the Old Testament, they're going to define these different things. But what's interesting is that in the same way, we're going to see it used. And so in the Old Testament, you say, were there women that were prophets? And most people go, oh, I can name all the men prophets. I don't know if there are any women prophets. And guess what? There's one. <laughs> At least one, yep. probably more than that. Yep. So yes, they're there. Yeah. So the interesting thing with prophets in the Old Testament, um, I would say that they're my uh, Old Testament and the Minor Prophets, I took a class, and I love the way that uh, Dr. Grossman at Trinity described what the prophets were, and that's um, covenant enforcers. Yeah. And so they're the ones who are calling out, usually what we see is, oh, prophecy is just foretelling the future, yeah. you know, and telling about events way out there, or near events, but 99% of the prophets' work was calling people back to covenant faithfulness. Yep. They're the ones who enforce the covenant, um, calling God's people back, so if prophecy in the Old Testament, we always say Old Testament, New Testament connect. If prophecy there is calling people back to faithfulness, that sounds an awful lot like preaching today, doesn't yes. it? Yes, and I could go on a huge tangent about this, but in, in the times when God's people were there, we think like exile thinking, the prophets are going to show up to mm -hmm. bring them back. And of course, they weren't really welcomed. They were kind of out in the wilderness and the people would push them away and yeah. things like that. We often see them going through all kinds of uh, feelings of discouragement and even, you know, having anxiety yeah. and depression and things yeah. like that. That's because the weight was on their shoulders. And so when you go and you look at other versions of prophets in the Old Testament, when you get into like the judges, a lot of times when we read the description of a prophet, it's to bring the covenant back to the people or to remind them of that. And that's actually what the judges were mm -hmm. supposed to do too. Yeah, and exactly. so then you have some women judges that kind of fit the context of leading the Old Testament very well. Yep. All right. So that's kind of First uh, Corinthians 14, and we'll kind of come back and conclude it after we finish going through First uh, Timothy chapter 2. So yeah. let's dive into that first. Let's look at the context. Like we always say, context yep. is king or queen. Yep. In this. <laughs> so, right. um, so yeah, so let's look at why is Paul writing to Timothy. That was a good play on words. Yeah. The purpose of Paul's writing to Timothy is to stop the spread of false teaching in the church in Ephesus. So uh, let's look at Paul's thesis statement. Let's just read the first couple well, of verses. major on the majors, yep. not take minor doctrines out of it. Yep. So let's start in verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Remember that. That's important. Yep. Which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God, which is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions 
desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding. That's important too. Yeah. Remember, they desire to be teachers without understanding, but they don't know what they're talking about and they have made, which they make confident assertions. This is pretty blunt language here. He's basically saying that there are false teachers in the church in Ephesus and that's what Paul is addressing in the whole letter of like, don't, like, you need to learn if you're yeah. taught. Yeah. <laughs> so so basically, that's what it is. But the big thing also is that if you're going to be a teacher, your behavior needs to be at a certain level. And we'll yeah. get into that when we get into the eldership right. stuff. So this big thing is living by the law of love and through your life also being teachers. And only teachers should be ones that reflect that law of love. It's also worth noting that in chapter 2, uh, I think it's verse 2, he really goes into saying that the whole church should be quiet, you know? And so we often, you know, read this mm -hmm. as women should be quiet, but yep. he's not just saying women should be quiet. There's there's a theme that the whole church yep. should live quietly. Yep, so let's go uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Because Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So, let's look at some cultural context of Ephesus. Culture is important. Culture yep. is important. So, the cult of Artemis was here in Ephesus, and Artemis' temple was one of the seven, uh, the wonders of the ancient world. We alluded to this briefly in the last mm -hmm. video, yep. but we're going to get into it a little more. Yep. And now this cult had an all-female priesthood, and they were extremely hostile towards men. Now, it was even said that on some cases they would have armed women guards outside, and if you were a man, there's no way you're getting in the doors. Here. Yep, pretty much. So, when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority of a man. We need to dive into authority again. Now, we talked about authority before yeah. in our headship part. Um, where Paul there, for head, he used kephale, which isn't the normal word for authority, right. exousia or arche. Yep. And here again, he's not using kephale this time. He's using a different word, um, authentane. And this is problematic yep. for a couple of different reasons. Because it doesn't mean authority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it's always translated as authority. Yeah. So it has a context of authority, but here when we use authentane, this is what's called a hapoxagomenon. And that means it's a word only used one time in the entire Bible. Yeah. So we can't refer elsewhere in the Bible to the context it's used in. So you got to go outside the Bible to see how it was used there. And we've done a lot of different things on extra biblical sources and Matt and I have no problem jumping into some extra biblical yeah. sources to try to get an understanding. So what we're doing here is we're saying, since it's only used once in the entire Bible, we can't make an analysis off of other ways that it's used. So let's go outside of the Bible and look at things that were written during the same time. And if they had similar meanings together mm -hmm. outside of it, it would just make sense that in the biblical narrative, they're going to take on that same kind of understanding. Yeah, and we find it outside the Bible as a noun a few times, and uh, we see this in Philo, in, in Josephus, and every connection outside the Bible with this word has um, the meaning of violence yeah or hurting somebody so you mentioned philo that was Cain uh -huh. and abel we're yep. saying that and he's talking about the violence and it's actually murder that uh -huh. he's talking about yeah right? and the same thing with josephus talking about king herod uh murdering three of his kids yeah and so what could be happening here is that the women in ephesus maybe from this artemis cult are being saved coming into the church um but as they're coming in based on their previous position of being 
in the priesthood there and having a a worldview of women being in authority yeah and and actually having a worldview they had these myths and genealogies of women being created first and so they get their headship because they were the first created yeah and so that was part of the artemis cult's myths now this is really interesting because feminism is a big deal today uh-huh. now and there's a lot of things that you know are calling god she and things mm-hmm. like that you know and sometimes we just laugh over those things but there is kind of an argument going back to this that, mm-hmm. you know, there that's the same connotation that Paul was dealing with. Yeah, so when we see here, maybe these people are coming in and assuming authority in a violent way yeah. over the men in the church. And so what this really means is, like, violent domination, authority. Right. And Paul's not having it. And I don't think if men were doing it, he would be having it either. Right. When you look a couple verses before this, he's telling men not to be angry, but to lift holy hands when they're... When yeah. they're praying, he's he's against anger for both men and women. He's an equal opportunity offender. Yeah, that's a good way to say <laughs> so, it. Yeah. So. Preaching the same message. To yeah, so, from the men and the women. Now we get into this word, you know, that he says, I do not permit. Yep, epitrepo in Greek. So this, we always look at the language and we look at the context of grammar yep. and how, what it, the grammatical form actually says. So there are some Bibles that we get. My favorite is the one N.T. Wright rewrote the New Testament and kind of taking it into account of what what the cultural sense meant. Mm-hmm. And so if you were going to give this a better translation, what would it sound like? So um, it is a present active indicative grammatical form, which means... Let's hope you passed ninth grade English to <laughs> yeah. get here. <laughs> yeah. so that means that it's not a command. An yeah. imperative would be a command. This is an indicative, which means... And it's also in the active sense and not in the perfect sense. So perfect means that it goes on. It's an action that I pronounce now and it goes on forever, basically. Now, this is where it really helps to know the the language. Language, Because, again, if we're just reading this in English with Western eyes, we're going to just... Do not permit. Yeah, we're just going to read it done, you know. Stamp. And too many people have generated their whole complementarian view on simply reading rather than (laughs) launching into what the real manuscript language says. Yep, so it means I do not permit a woman to teach at this time. Yeah. So that's really how it should be translated. changes the whole thing. Yeah, so if he's (laughs) doing that, um, it's probably the the best uh, translation for it, saying that it's it's not a... um, a command it's conditional yeah it's conditional that's basically what what it what it comes to when when you have it that way so the next part of this is um that a woman should learn in quietness and full submission yeah so that part is so does this teach that women need to be silent in churches complementarians will say yes and egalitarians will say well Mm, well, probably not yeah so (laughs) now this that a woman should learn or a woman, yeah, I, I permit a woman to learn, or I, a woman must learn. It's, an, yeah. it's a command. Yeah. He's commanding the women to learn. Definitely. And so notice, like, the logic here is that right after this comes the comment about teaching. So the logic is, before you teach, learn. This is really important, and I, I this is one of my tangent moments, <laughs> yeah. you know. I, <laughs> I really have a hard time with churches, and this isn't just because I have a doctorate in something and teach at a seminary, but I've always felt this way. When I was 16, I knew I wanted to be in the Mm -hmm. ministry, and 
not only did I think I need to, but my dad and everybody else said, well, if that's what you want to do, you need to go learn. And mm -hmm. so in the Bible, we get this as a biblical example over and over and over. And so one of my pet peeves is when you have a pastor that hasn't done that, you know? And so in the Bible, we have stepping stones. Mm -hmm. We have, if God, if you are, God says, if you are faithful with the little, then I'll give you the next step. And he keeps building yep. that way. And so one of the area churches that I grew up at, I was involved in, in youth group, but just a few miles down. Uh, a few years ago, they hired, they had an elder who taught and preached and was really, really good. And they said, you're called. We want you to come and be the senior pastor of our church. Yet he had no training in that area other than just being in the church for the mm -hmm. whole time. Now, some will argue that the church can train over the course of that, and I would agree with that. But I think for somebody leading over the whole organization, there's a, a deeper mm -hmm. calling than that. And again, we see that. It's said that Paul was probably in training for 14 years. That's like getting a doctorate, basically. Yeah. And so, so the calling is that if you're going to teach on the larger level of the church you need to put in the time investment to do that and today i can't tell you how how many times i see churches struggling with things that sh they sh they shouldn't be struggling with if you went to school uh i teach at covenant theological seminary matt's been to trinity i've been to moody we've been in school for a long time and i would tell you that when you go to seminary you learn a lot of these things and that you're not going to hopefully make really silly mistakes on the pulpit and leading the church that you might if you weren't trained altogether so the premise of this whole part right here is you need to learn before mm -hmm. you can teach now in our class, we had a guy raise his hand and go, man, I've been teaching fifth and sixth grade Sunday school and I hardly know anything about the Bible. And you say, but that's the step that God has called you to. Mm -hmm. So is is he going to be the next senior pastor of our church next year? I don't think so because he hasn't put the time in to get there, but maybe he could. Mm -hmm. So one last note here on um, the women should learn in quietness and submission before we jump into the next problem, which is the creation principle and deception, um, is the quietness and submission, most people think that uh, complementarians will say that this is a form of subordination. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's actually the posture of a student. Yeah. When you learn, if he's saying the command right. here is a woman should learn, should learn yeah. and so how do you learn? You're quiet and you listen, yeah. and you pay attention, and you submit yourselves to the teachings that are being put in front of you so that you can learn. And I actually use this all the time, not just for women, but for yeah. everybody, just to say, like, you know, the role of a student is mostly listening, hearing, and then there's thoughtful conversation, conversation going on, questioning, things like that, to make it come back out in the outward sign that you actually understand and learned mm -hmm. the content that you had. So it's yeah. just, just kind of... You know, in terms of learning, I, I, I'm really into curriculum and mm -hmm. things like that, and that's the way learning happens. It's it's not necessarily geared towards, you know, simply women, yeah. it's everybody. Yeah, so we take these as a negative statement, but just, just think of your woman, uh, if you're a woman in this culture who has been left behind in yeah. education, and you hear this announcement coming from Paul, this is exciting that they finally get to learn. Very positive. Yeah, so yeah. they would take this, they would be jumping out of their seats yeah. when they heard this, yes, finally, we get to be caught up and we get to participate with the men. So this is one of these situations where 
in our Western context, we read this as negatively mm-hmm. when actually it's supposed to, it would have been read in their cultures extremely positively. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So the last part of this is the creation principle and, and they take verse 14 to mean that since Adam was created first and the woman was the one who deceived and became a sinner, then that means that women shouldn't teach and they yeah. can't assume authority over a man. So whenever anybody decides to pin everything on Adam and Eve, I have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Especially when they just want to pin it on now one of them one instead of, them. of both of them. Yeah, it's as if it wasn't bad enough to pin everything on two of them. Yeah. So yeah. So the things that we need to to look at here is um, first we talked about in the Artemis cult there was this the myths and genealogies remember from back when we read the verse there which are the issues right is they had the thing that the reason they were usurping authority is because they thought that women were created before men and here paul is saying adam was created first so he's coming against that false teaching right here and going back to genesis referring back to the creation narrative and we already showed in our first video in the creation narrative there's no hierarchy there right and so what's paul saying he's saying the women are acting like eve they are being deceived Paul is really eloquent here. And so oftentimes when we're just reading this in English, we don't necessarily get everything. Mm-hmm. And so when you start breaking it apart like this, you're, you're going to see that, you know, Paul's saying a few things here culturally that need to be said quickly and mm-hmm. moving on. And there's a reason to why he says that. A lot of times people read this and they just think it sounds silly or why would he say that mm-hmm. or... Or even worse, they take the wrong understanding of it. So you got to jump in a little bit to get the understanding before you can move further than that. Yep. And the other thing is like if just because of being deceived by the snake or being deceived at all and falling into sin is a reason that you shouldn't be a teacher twice in first uh, in one Corinthians 15 and Romans five, Paul pins the fall on Adam. Yeah. So he does that more than Eve. So right. if we're going with the majors, then men shouldn't be teaching either. Right. <laughs> so. so this is one of the issues of being a complementarian is that consistency is really hard. Mm-hmm. And so he said that with the Trinity thing going on, that yep. they're going to have a hard time with consistency. But here they're going to have a hard time with consistency. Now, there are ways that people try to frame this within complementarian thinking. And so, you know, those do exist. But I always like to approach things hermeneutically as, what's easiest, what makes the Mm -hmm. most sense, what's most logical, what's most philosophical, and definitely which one speaks closer in the full lens of scripture. Yep, and so also when we look at this and compare it to what he just said about usurping authority, that often tain word, is the Bible talks of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil as usurping God's authority. Right. And so are they saying they're being like Eve, you're usurping authority of the person who's actually teaching truth. (laughs) The women are being like Eve here in Ephesus. So they're taking on the role of usurping authority and living by their own wisdom and their own myths and genealogies and teaching the law but not really knowing what it is. Yes. And so that's (laughs) the whole thing is let's just nail down a couple thoughts three quick pointers maybe on on what we learned from these two passages that we that so uh first corinthians 14 what do we got there yeah so it's it's is it face value or is it contradictive yeah that's that's what you're asking is it yeah is it so the verses 34 and 35 there in chapter 14 if they aren't legitimate to the text it doesn't really silence women if they are we need to take it in the context of the whole thing where women are praying and prophesying yeah, right. and able to speak in church. So 
it's I don't really think it's legitimate myself, but yeah. if it is, I think you can, there are legitimate ways of not um, meaning an outright silencing forever of, of women that play into the entire context of, of those three chapters. I think anybody from either side of the fence is just going to say, don't make a major doctrine mm -hmm. on this. We just don't know what to do with it. And mm -hmm. you know, it, yeah. if, if, if it fits what you think the rest of the Bible says, great, but don't don't make something bigger out of yeah. it. And and then you get after that is you know the the if that's if we're going to take that out of it, what does what's the major arching theme of all of this? Yeah, don't usurp authority. Yeah, <laughs> is is one of the things there that the women are are hurting others in a harmful way, and so we don't do that. And the big picture is one should learn before they teach. And what's interesting is we take this as directed primarily towards women, but it's actually mm -hmm. directed towards men at the same yeah. time. Because part of his thesis was teachers should have good Christian behavior, yeah. which will bring us into our next video. Yeah. Um, and so when you teach, you need to have good behavior. So the women are don't have good behavior. And if you look the couple of verses before, the men don't either. And then he gets into eldership and what the behavior should be when he's addressing both of them. Yeah. So there's some really interesting thoughts in this in mm -hmm. this passage, but this is probably the one that that really makes the most dent on either side of these thinking. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's the one if I had to say let's just throw one of them out. This is the one I'd say let's just throw out because it's just controversial and you don't know what to do with some of it, but we definitely don't want to make major doctrines over something that we, you know, find as yeah. illusions here. Yeah, so the big thing is, it, does this prohibit women from teaching? I would say no, because no. we clearly see it in the chapters there in Corinthians when we look at them prophesying and participating in church services, not being silent. Right. And then here, what Paul is saying in First Timothy is that women who don't have good Christian behavior and don't know what they're talking about and they're are spreading False teachings shouldn't be teachers. They need to learn before they teach. Yeah. So I hope you've gained a little bit from that. Our next one is going to be on woman elders, and we're going to talk through some other things there. So join us for that. May God bless you and keep you.